We are there and have legal justification under the authorization to use military force. Well, that's not true. What else is not true today? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Maybe a long show. I got the feeling there's something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM KSO in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 FM WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on 94.1 FM WGRN. In Palinville, New York on 102.9 FM WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We're also heard streaming coast to coast and around the globe. At least five days of the week on the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Deprogrammed Radio, Detour Talk, and Radio Sputnik, Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us for another thrilling action-packed adventure that we call the Bradcast. Coming up, uh, my nightmares, your nightmares, but certainly my nightmares continue as uh, voters head to the polls in Georgia on Tuesday. Damn near everything I have warned you about for so long, uh, frankly, and that's so many in the media and uh, election officials uh, and certainly among the voting machine companies and, and even many computer scientists and therefore most voters. All of those people uh, have been ignoring these warnings. Everything that I've warned about, once again, was confirmed last week. Uh, my election nightmares come true. Confirmed yet again in horrifying, chilling detail in the state of Georgia as voters go to the polls on Tuesday to cast their votes on 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems in the U.S. House special election in the state's 6th congressional district. It is the most expensive U.S. House race by far. The, the most expensive house race ever run in this country. And uh, as of as of Wednesday, no matter who wins it after Election Day, we will have no way of knowing if the announced winner actually won and if the announced loser actually lost. Uh, this was all confirmed yet again in a report that came out just before uh, I had to leave town for some family business last week. Uh, all is well, but uh, I'm back from that. That story broke in Politico, written by uh, Kim Zetter. I'm going to go through that in, in detail shortly because uh, it's, 
just confirms those nightmares that I've been uh, yelling and screaming about now for more than a decade while everyone else has been ignoring them. Yeah, and it's kind of a microcosm of all the things that you've been warning about, sort of in one horrible, perfect storm. Yes, it is. Not just about this Georgia race coming up, which is big and important enough on its own, but about all of our elections. So that's that's coming up straight ahead. That was Desi Doyen. Hello. Hope you enjoyed a couple of days off there as well. Yes. Uh, All right. Anti-Muslim attacks occurred uh, over the past 24 hours, both in the UK and here in the US. Deadly anti-Muslim attacks. Nonetheless, Donald Trump has found absolutely no time to comment on Twitter about either of these two attacks in the UK and in the US, despite being very quick. He's always very quick to comment on Twitter when uh, he feels that Muslims have perpetrated an attack, uh, certainly over the past several weeks in London. But he said nothing about the anti-Muslim attack that occurred in London earlier on Monday when uh, worshippers standing outside of two mosques in North London were rammed by a van driven by a man who appears to be a, uh, an extremist white guy. That, I guess, we don't have to mention on Twitter. That attack left at least one dead, has uh, injured eight others who were outside of this uh, mosque in northern London. And at the same time, here in Virginia, a 17-year-old Muslim girl was fatally attacked, fatally attacked with a baseball bat after leaving evening prayers over the weekend. A 22-year-old man in Virginia has now been charged with murder after a teenage girl was found dead in a pond after she had disappeared outside a local mosque, according to the police. This, the girl, 17 years old, was walking with a group of friends during the pre-dawn hours on Sunday in Herndon, Virginia, when they got into some sort of a dispute with a man in a car, according to police. The girl and her friends had left the all Dulles area Muslim Society Center in Sterling and were on their way back from a McDonald's restaurant for an all-night prayer session when the confrontation took place. According to the police, the man, uh, his name is Darwin A. Martinez Torres, 22 years old of Sterling, Virginia, got out of the car he was driving and assaulted the girl, the police said. Her friends had scattered and the girl had disappeared. Her body was found about 11 hours later in a nearby man-made pond and Torres was charged with murder. According to the police in their statement, uh, hate crimes could still be filed. They're not currently uh, uh, filed against this man. Uh, They could still be filed as the investigation progresses, according to a Virginia Commonwealth attorney uh, in uh, in Fairfax County. He said, I wouldn't rule it out until I see all of the evidence. That killing reverberated throughout the Muslim community and beyond. The news reports of her murder surfaced just as authorities in Britain were investigating that early morning attack near the mosque in London as a possible act of terrorism amid fears of retaliation for several recent assaults in the country attributed to Islamist extremists. In this country, the FBI reported last year that attacks against Muslim Americans had surged in 2015, driving an overall increase in hate crimes uh, against all groups, there were uh, there were 257, 257 reports of assaults, attacks on mosques, 
and other hate crimes against Muslims in 2015. That's a jump of about 67 percent over 2014. Huh, what happened in 2015 that suddenly led to all these jumps in uh, hate crimes against Muslims in uh, in 2015 over the year before. What what could it have been? I don't know. Maybe somebody somewhere was talking about uh, using anti-Muslim rhetoric that what? might have helped to incite weak-minded people to retaliate in some fashion. I wonder who that could have been. Yeah, speaking of weak-minded people, uh, President Trump has found absolutely no reason to mention <laughs> any of those attacks over the past 24 hours, those two anti-Muslim incidents. He has had t uh, time to tweet, however, a promotion for his attorney's appearance on Fox & Friends today uh, in regard to the special counsel investigation. Uh, he's had time to tweet an endorsement for uh, former Secretary of State Karen Handel in her race for the uh, U.S. House in that special election in Georgia's 6th District, but no time, no time to mention any of those other incidents. Uh, with all of the other distractions, there are a number of other things that are not getting the uh, attention, frankly, from anyone uh, that deserve more attention uh, over the past several days. Uh, for one, the Republican Secret Senate health care bill which is still being uh, largely ignored by by the media, by the Democrats. Even they're trying to get attention to it, uh, but they're having a tough time because Mitch McConnell, the Republican leader in the Senate, is doing everything absolutely in secret. Everything he pretended to abhor when claiming the Democrats did this, uh, did the same thing back when they were passing the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare. And of course, they weren't doing it in secret. They weren't jamming it through the Senate. It actually took about a year, uh, dozens of hearings, all sorts of amendments that they accepted from Republicans. But now this is being rammed through uh, in incredibly short order in the hopes of bringing it to the floor and having a bill that would you know, affect the way one-fifth of the U.S. economy actually operates with no time at all, no hearings at all, no nothing, and pass this thing before the 4th of July recess coming up in just about a week and a half or so. Here was Senator uh, Claire McCaskill of Missouri in uh, one of the Senate committees uh, trying to ask uh, Senator Orrin Hatch of Utah, one of the biggest complainers, by the way, of the uh, Obamacare back in, what was it, 2010, 2009 and 2010, claiming back then that this was getting rammed through. Now he's in charge of this committee uh, that will hold absolutely no hearings on this huge piece of legislation. Here's McCaskill and Hatch last week. Will we have a hearing on the health care proposal? Will we? Yes. I, I think we've already had one, but... No, I mean on the proposal that you're planning to bring to the floor of the Senate for a vote. Will there be a hearing? Well, I don't know that <clears throat> there's going to be another hearing, but we've invited so, you to, to participate and yeah, give no, your ideas. No, that's and... not true, Mr. Chairman. Let me just say, I, I watched carefully all of the hearings that went on on the Affordable yeah. Health Care Act. I um, was not a member of this committee at the time, although I would have liked to be. Uh, Senator Grassley was uh, the ranking member. Uh, dozens of Republican amendments were offered and accepted in that hearing process. And when you say that you're inviting us, and I heard you, Mr. Secretary, just say we'd love your support, for what? We don't even know. We have no idea what's being proposed. 
There's a group of guys in a back room somewhere that are making these decisions. There were no hearings in the House. I mean, listen, this is hard to take because I know we made mistakes on the Affordable Health Care Act, Mr. Secretary. And one of the criticisms we got over and over again that the vote was partisan. Well, you couldn't have a more partisan exercise than what you're, what you're engaged in right now. We're not even going to have a hearing on a bill that impacts one-sixth of our economy. We're not going to have an opportunity to offer a single amendment. It is all being done with an eye to try to get it by with 50 votes and the vice president. I am stunned that that is what Leader McConnell would call regular order, which he sanctimoniously said would be the order of the day when the Republicans took the Senate over. We are now so far from regular order, the new members don't even know what it looks like. And I know that doesn't make you happy, Mr. Chairman or Senator Grassley, because you have been in the Senate so long, you know the value of the hearing process and the amendment process. And even though the vote ended up being partisan, just as yours will be, the amendment process wasn't. Both of you had amendments that were put into that bill, as did other members of this committee. I want that opportunity. Give me that opportunity. Give me an opportunity to work with you. That's what is so discouraging about this process. That was Senator Claire McCaskill, Democrat of Missouri, uh, trying to confront uh, Senator Orrin Hatch of Utah, the doddering old uh, senior senator from uh, Utah. I think he's about 80 years old at this point, uh, literally. Um, and uh, just playing along, just playing along with all of this, trying to jam it through before the 4th of July recess, this huge bill. Now, amidst all of that and amidst all the frustration the Democrats are having about this secretive uh, process to repeal Obamacare, Democrats now plan... Uh, to try at least to throw gears into uh, throw sand into the gears of the Senate to force a more public debate, if possible, they are now going to start objecting to all unanimous consent requests in the Senate, starting on Monday night, according to the New York Daily News. When uh, when they return for for votes, a senior Senate aide tells the Daily News that the move would essentially grind the chamber to a halt with the goal of forcing a public debate on that GOP repeal plan. Well, that would be great. I mean, remember during the setup to the Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, when the Republicans complained that they weren't getting enough amendments in there, they were shoving it through without them giving an opportunity. They had that opportunity, as Senator McCaskill mentioned. Oh, and they had mentioned. plenty of opportunities. They plenty. changed the, the, the bill like crazy, and then they didn't vote for exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. So the hypocrisy is is neck deep here, even deeper than that. Senate Republicans have uh, refused to publicly even discuss the details of their bill, which they hope to get through before the 4th of July recess. Senators acknowledge that the bill is nearing completion. And unlike in the past, with almost every major bill, they have not the GOP has not held a single committee hearing or even publicly shared drafts of the texts <laughs> well, of, of what they're not. of what they're working on. Of course not. That would give the public a chance to actually speak up and say no. So they're going to Democrats at least say they're going to try to make their own requests and and parliamentary procedures here here to try to force the bill to a committee. 
those moves will probably be defeated because they don't have the uh, the numbers the, the numbers in yeah. the Senate. But uh, that's what they're going to try to do. They're not going to allow any of the unanimous consent requests, which means there's going to have to be votes. Hopefully, roll call votes on all of those things. Hopefully, slowing down the process. Which, by the way, uh, you can ring in on yourself with your own senator. You can call the uh, both of your uh, senators, whatever state you're in. The phone number is 202-224-3121. That's 202-224-3121. All it will take is three Republican senators to vote against this bill to kill it in the Senate. 202-224-3121 if you'd like to ring in on that. Um, it's, It's unclear right now how close Senate Republicans are to finalizing that bill. It's unclear how many Republican senators are actually going to support it. They are reportedly having trouble getting the uh, getting the support they need. But uh, remember, they changed the rules for this in the Senate to be oh, able yeah. to put through this secret bill that will be a surprise for the public and for everybody. And this is the same bill, by the way, that Donald Trump last week called mean. He said it was a mean, mean bill just weeks after they passed it narrowly in the U.S. House, and he had all of the Republicans over to the White House and celebrated this fantastic bill uh, that he literally called the phenomenal bill, and now he says it's a mean bill. So, And and, and just remember, at the end of this, this is all really just for a tax cut. And they're Right. And they're getting away with it uh, because there is not uh, holy hell being raised. Everyone is sort of distracted by all of the investigations into the Trump administration that are going on, and that serves them very well. It also serves both the Republicans and Democrats well when it comes to what's now going on in Syria. Uh, we shot down a Syrian plane over the weekend, which uh, we should not even be at war. We shouldn't be shooting at Syrian planes at the Syrian government. There is absolutely no uh, pretext or no legal pretext whatsoever for us to be attacking the Syrian government. Now, the U.S. says it is in Syria to defeat ISIS, but over the weekend, uh, according to Vox, the U.S. took an action that once again saw it getting into a fight with Bashar al-Assad's military, and it was the Trump administration's most direct intervention yet into that Syrian civil war. Vox writes, that's the takeaway from the U.S. military's downing of a Syrian warplane on Sunday. The first time an American plane has shot down a Syrian once a Syrian one since the conflict there erupted more than six years ago. A uh, U.S. F.A.-18E Super Hornet shot it down, killing the lone pilot. This is the fourth time within a month that the U.S. has struck pro-Assad forces and the first time the U.S. brought down a military uh, Syrian military plane since the war began. In this instance, the goal was said to have been to protect U.S.-backed fighters. This is not to defend actual U.S. troops, but rather troops that we are supporting. It also increases the risk of something that would have once been unthinkable, U.S and Russian planes shooting at each other. In the aftermath of the incident, Moscow says it will now track and target U.S.-led coalition aircraft flying above Syria. It's even cutting off contact with the U.S., which is bad news, they write, since Washington and Moscow were in close contact to ensure that they wouldn't get into a military confrontation accidentally in Syria. 
This is what a lot of people have been warning about, what people were warning about through, frankly, through the campaign when Hillary Clinton was out there talking about having a no-fly zone and how this was going to potentially put us into direct confrontation with Russia, who is working as an ally with uh, with Syria at this point. Well, we're damn near close to that now because Moscow is now tracking and potentially targeting U.S. coalition aircraft uh, flying above Syria. Sunday's downing, Vox writes, is yet another sign of the U.S. getting directly involved in Syria's war between the Assad government and those who want him gone. Not just the campaign to defeat ISIS in the country, but uh, to defeat specifically, to target the Assad government. That is, they write, a major step for the U.S. to take, and it's now even more unclear exactly what the hell the Trump White House is trying to accomplish in Syria. Are they going after uh, the Assad government? Are they going after the uh, the, the ISIS uh, and other forces who are fighting against the Assad government? It seems that right now we're going against both. We're going against both sides of the civil war. And we're still there is no debate, zero debate, not by Republicans, not by Democrats in this country. Uh, for to grant permission to the president to go after Assad. They could argue that they're going after uh, ISIS and so forth uh, under the authorization for the use of military force that was passed after 9-11. They could make that argument to go after ISIS, but they cannot make that, uh, that argument to go after the sovereign government of Syria, no matter what you think of that government. This afternoon at the uh, National Press Club, Joint Chief Chairman uh, and Marine General Joseph Dunford was asked specifically uh, what the legal justification for targeting Syrian government forces was. He claimed we are there and have legal justification under the authorization for use of military force that uh, was passed after 9-11 to go against al-Qaeda and groups associated with al-Qaeda which Assad is decidedly not. Francis Boyle, a professor of international law at the University of Illinois College of Law, said today that General Dunford is totally, quote, totally incorrect. Boyle said the AUMF, the authorization for the use of military force, passed after 9-11 has indeed been used to justify the bombing campaigns purported to target ISIS, But he said it cannot possibly be used to justify targeting the Syrian government. Those attacks are, in fact, clearly illegal and, he writes, impeachable. Many have put forward dubious arguments for impeaching Trump or arguments that uh, they would never apply to a Democratic president, he said. Similarly, some threatened Obama with impeachment and are not doing so now that Trump is engaging in exactly the same activity they threatened Obama about. Hypocrisy. That's exactly what he says in this quote, actually. (laughs) He says, hypocrisy and hypocrites abound. If we care about the rule of law, he says, the most striking thing about Trump is his flagrant violation of the war powers clause of the Constitution in this targeting of the Syrian government. Of course, that war powers clause of the Constitution says that it is Congress, not the president, who declares war against uh, a sovereign nation. The targeting of forces of or allied with the Syrian government has no justification whatsoever, he says. It is obviously impeachable. Obama's people say they were afraid of of impeachment for exactly this reason. 
But pro-war Democrats don't raise it because it would put a constraint on the war-making capacities of the U.S. president while they pretend to care about the rule of law, says Francis Boyle, professor of international studies at the University of Illinois College of Law. So that's where we are in that mess. Uh, more stories that aren't getting uh, the proper coverage they deserve and uh, not getting the proper coverage it deserves for going on more than a decade, frankly, is the concerns about our election system and our voting system that now, finally, people sort of a little bit are beginning to get uh, concerned about. Going to talk about that as it applies to the state of Georgia and the U.S. House special election there as my nightmares continue. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com slash donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. The devil went down to Georgia. He was looking for a soul to steal. He was in a bind because he was way behind and he was willing to make a deal. When he came across this young man sewing on a fiddle and playing it hot, and the devil jumped up on a hickory stump and said, boy, let me tell you what. You know, I, I think that uh, that I'm devil may have worked for uh, the Diebold Voting Machine Company <laughs> down in Georgia. Uh, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, late last week, the Secretary of State of California, Alex Padilla, put out a press release calling on the NSA to share critical information about Russian threats to U.S. election systems. That was it. Only Russian. Apparently only Russian threats. Nothing else to worry about when it comes to our election systems. Uh, California Secretary of State Alex Padilla said uh, he expressed his serious concern that the NSA failed to share critical information about Russian threats to U.S. voting systems. In a letter to Admiral Michael uh, Rogers, the uh, Secretary Padilla questions why the NSA failed to provide America's election officials with critical information about clear threats to our elections. The letter follows the recent leak of an NSA analysis uh, outlining what are described as Russian attempts to spearfish local election officials across the U.S., Padilla said, as the chief elections officer in the most populous state in the nation, I am seriously concerned about the NSA's failure to provide timely and critical information to America's elections officials. Why did America's elections officials have to learn about details of this threat, citing this NSA analysis, seven months after the fact and as a result of a leaked document from an NSA contractor? In his uh, letter that he sent to NSA Chief Mike Rogers, Padilla says, when did the NSA first receive documented threat intelligence for uh, threat intelligence information targeting our elections? Why was this information not promptly shared with our nation's election officials? Why did the Americans, why did America's election officials have to learn about it seven months after the fact? 
and what ongoing threats to our elections exist currently? All good questions, but the fact that they are only centered on threats by Russia is both telling and exceedingly short-sighted, I might say purposely so, particularly from the chief election official in the nation's most populous state, the state of California, where one of every eight U.S. residents live. Um, interesting that he is suddenly concerned about uh, threats to our electoral system. Uh, where has he been for so many years? He's concerned about how long it took the uh, election officials to find out. I'm concerned about why it is that he has not been particularly concerned about our electoral system, even those systems used here in California that are vulnerable to hacking and manipulation of all sorts. Keep this question in mind now as uh, as Georgians are going to the polls uh, for this U.S. House special election between John Ossoff, a Democrat, first time candidate, 30 years old, and uh, former Georgia Secretary of State Karen Handel. This is an incredibly close race, the special House election to fill the seat of Health and Human Services Secretary Tom Price, who won in this district, Georgia's 6th district, uh, last November. He won by more than 20 points, but Donald Trump only won by a little bit more than one point. So this is a very, very close race right now between the Democrat and the Republican. Democrats think they can pick this off, and a record amount of money, tens of millions, some $50 million has been spent on this race. Polling over the past three weeks suggests that Ossoff has a narrow but potentially shrinking lead over Karen Handel, the Republican in this race. Her big campaign event on Sunday featured Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue, former governor, and Health and Human Services Secretary Tom Price, uh, who had held that seat before he was appointed by Donald Trump. Five polls have been released in June. Four of them show Ossoff with a lead but a very narrow one. One showed him leading by as much as seven points over Handel. Uh, most of them are closer to one point, according to the cl Real Clear Politics polling average. But one of those polls showed the race in a dead heat, and a poll at the beginning of May showed Handel leading by two points. Moreover, Ossoff's lead appears to have been diminished slightly in recent days. A poll released on uh, June 8 had him up by seven points, but the most recent one we have from Fox 5 Atlanta shows the Democrats' lead is just down to one single point. Signs points uh, point to a massive turnout in the race, notes Vox.com. More than half of the district's voters have been contacted in person by Ossoff. According to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the New York Times' Nate Cohn says that some 40,000 people who did not vote in the primary in April have already cast a ballot uh, this time around. And as I noted, some $50 million have been raised and spent on this one single U.S. House seat by both sides, shattering all records to make this the most expensive House seat, no matter who wins it, in history. Ossoff told his supporters at a rally over the weekend, it will all come down to turnout. Let's make sure we get out there and vote. Well, turnout is certainly a part of it. But so is voter suppression, keeping people away from the polls with uh, voter registration games and keeping them from voting for lack of photo ID in the very first state in the nation, by the way, to implement such a restriction on voting uh, in the country. That's another reason. But there's something else entirely. 
And this goes back to uh, <laughs> something that I've been talking about, trying to get folks' attention to for, for more than a decade now. Uh, we've been trying to raise attention specifically to this uh, uh, Georgia 6th Congressional District race uh, for, for some weeks. Uh, and the fact that they use still incredibly, shamefully in Georgia, 100 percent unverifiable touchscreens. Uh, we've been talking about it for months. And the fact is, you know, as of Wednesday, we'll have no idea when the results are reported, if they're accurate or not. We won't even know if one vote cast on those machines was actually cast as per any voter's intent. It is obscene that we are still using uh, these systems in states like Georgia and elsewhere. We've been raising concerns about these types of uh, systems in general for well over a decade. But we've been focusing in recent months on this Georgia race since it has uh, brought in so much money and so much attention. On this show in recent weeks, we've interviewed computer science and e-voting expert Barbara Simons about that uh, reported uh, March 1 hack. It was a, quote, a major breach of the voter database at the Center for Elections at Kennesaw State University in Georgia. The Center for Elections at Kennesaw programs all of Georgia's voting machines, its computer tabulators, and it, its electronic poll books, and it was breached in early March. We talked with Barbara Simons about that, one of the experts who was trying to uh, suggest to Republican Secretary of State Brian Kemp in Georgia that they move to paper ballots. She was trying to do that along with a whole bunch of other uh, e-voting experts prior to the uh, April 18 uh, uh, the primary race in, in, in this contest. We also interviewed Garland Favorito of Voter Georgia about the computer tabulator failure that occurred on the night of the April 18 primary in this race, which shut down tabulation for hours and revealed that these uh, computer tabulators, these GEMS tabulators, Global Election Management System, or GEMS, that in fact they too are susceptible to false results being uploaded to them on the night of the election. They had no safeguards against somebody, you know, getting in there with a false uh, with, with false results on a memory card from one of the precincts around the, the these counties and uploading those incorrect results. We interviewed Marilyn Marks of the Rocky Mountain Foundation. She sued to force Georgia to use hand counted paper ballots in the 6th district. Uh, special House election. That case was dismissed a little more than a week ago, largely on tech technicalities, but it sure as hell should not have been. At least had the judge bothered to read this chilling report that came out last week in Politico from uh, reporter Kim Zetter. I'll get to this in a moment. Last week, we also interviewed the Diebold document whistleblower Stephen Heller. He released documents uh, years ago to the media showing that Diebold, back in 2004 out here in California, the Diebold uh, was, was lying to officials uh, about using uncertified software in the exact same 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems that are still being used in, in Georgia and will be used in this uh, Georgia race on Tuesday. Those same machines were decertified here in California after Heller's disclosure. We also talked to him about Reality Winner, that NSA contractor who uh, turned whistleblower, who released the, that NSA analysis charging that foreign hackers had used so-called spear phishing attacks to gain access to the computers of election officials all across the country. The same, the, the very computers that actually programmed these voting machines all over the country. 
That was prior to last year's presidential election, and that's what the California Secretary of State, Alex Padilla, uh, was writing to the NSA to ask about. In Georgia, all voting systems and electronic poll books are programmed by this group, the Center for Elections at Kennesaw State University. They make a lot of money doing it, and they have since at least 2002. They are cited by some election officials and voting machine companies as a model for for voting system administration. In particular, uh, the folks at at Diebold would would point to them because the state of Georgia went entirely uh, to the to the Diebold company for touchscreen systems across the entire state that are still being used. But others uh, have been citing this Kennesaw State University as well as a model for voting system administration. Let these nonpartisan folks at a at a public university handle all of the programming. The state went to these uh, systems back in 2002 and Kennesaw State University has been handling their programming ever since. The head of the Center for Elections at Kennesaw is a guy by the name of Merle King. He often speaks around the country about how wonderful these systems are, how great these touchscreen systems are, despite the fact that they're totally unverifiable. He testifies to how wonderful they are, how safe they are uh, in official hearings and in court cases as an expert witness on these things. Now, as you know, I've been covering these systems for a very long time, including the work of the folks at Kennesaw State University. In fact, some years ago, a computer scientist who had attended a forum at Kennesaw on voting systems, told me that when one of the folks there was giving a presentation, it might have been King, it might have been Merle King, I I can't recall who it was, but he had a big display board up uh, where they were, you know, showing a computer uh, that they were, the screen for a computer, and he had dropped down a tab on a web browser and it projected a video, you know, image of that that browser. And apparently the Brad blog was one of the first sites that was saved as a favorite on that particular <laughs> web browser that uh, everybody in the crowd saw. Well, of course it was. So, uh, yeah, I've been reporting on them for a long time, and I, I guess they've been uh, following our reporting for quite some time. In any event, on Tuesday, it is now Election Day in that 6th District race. And uh, this story... That broke last week on the day that I had to leave town for a few days. It is so important. It is so chilling. It's frankly so haunting. So much of what I've been trying to get across for so long, while election officials of all parties, Republican, Democratic, uh, you know, have been ignoring this issue for so long. Voting machine companies have been downplaying it. And yes, even computer scientists have. But I want to go through this report, uh, even though it came out last week uh, by Kim Zetter at Politico to to just get it on the record here, because she has been Kim has been reporting on concerns about electronic voting systems for years, probably, I think, as long as I have as well. And this report is absolutely chilling uh, in Politico. Last August, Zetter writes, when the FBI reported that hackers were probing voter registration databases in more than a dozen states, this would be last August 2016, a few months prior to the election, uh, it had uh, prompted concerns about the integrity of the looming presidential election at the time. A man by the name of Logan Lamb decided he wanted to get his hands on a voting machine. He's a 29-year-old former cybersecurity researcher with the federal government's Oak Ridge National Laboratory in Tennessee. He now works for a private Internet security firm in Georgia. He wanted to assess the security of the state's voting systems. 
When he had learned that it was Kennesaw State University and their Center for Election Systems that uh, tests and programs all of the voting machines for the entire state of Georgia, he searched the website at the center. He said, I was looking for PDFs or documents, hoping to find anything that might uh, give him a little more sense of the center's work. But his curiosity turned to alarm when he encountered a number of files arranged by county that he was able to find at the website that, uh, of Kennesaw State University and their election center that looked like they could be used, those files, to hack an election. So Lamb wrote an automated script to scrape the site, see what was there, went off to lunch while the script was working. And when he returned, he discovered that the script had downloaded some 15 gigabytes of data. He said, I was like, whoa, whoa, I didn't mean to do that. I was absolutely stunned, he said, just the sheer quantity of files I had acquired. He told Politico magazine in his first interview since discovering this massive security breach, and this was back in August of last year, this is the first we're hearing about it. Within the mother load that Lamb found on the center's website, Zetter writes, was a database containing registration records for the state's 6.7 million voters, multiple PDFs with instructions and passwords, passwords for election workers to sign in to a central server on Election Day and software files for the state's express poll books, those electronic poll books that are used at each precinct in Georgia. These are the electronic devices that are used by poll workers to verify that a voter is registered and to allow them to cast a ballot. There also appear to be databases for the so-called GEMS servers. That's the central tabulator for results in Georgia. They're used to prepare paper and electronic ballots and then tabulate votes and produce summaries of vote totals. These are passwords and so forth that were sitting here on this unprotected site. In August of last year, just months before the election, and probably there for years and years prior. And found by a guy who wasn't even just, looking for them. Just some guy. The files were supposed to be behind a password-protected firewall, but the center had apparently misconfigured their server, so they were accessible to anyone. The, the center that is programming the voting machines and uh, overseeing the security of these voting machines, misconfigured its own server. According to Lamb, he said you could just go to the root of where they were hosting all of these files and just download everything without even logging in. And there was another problem. The site was using a years-old version of a content management software by the name of Drupal, at that, and that version had a critical software vulnerability that had long been known to uh, security researchers. Researchers called that vulnerability Drupageddon uh, because it was so bad, uh, and, they, and it got a lot of attention when it was first revealed back in 2014. It would let attackers t take control of any site that used the software, and this is what the Center for Elections at Kennesaw State University was using. A patch to fix that hole had been available for two years, but the center hadn't bothered to update the software. Lamb was concerned that hackers might already have penetra penetrated the center's site, a scenario that was not improbable given news that reports of intruders were probing voter registration systems and election websites across the country. If they had breached the center's network, they could potentially have planted malware on the server to infect the computers of county election workers who accessed it, 
giving attackers a backdoor into election offices throughout the entire state last year, or I guess in the years prior in the state of Georgia. Or they could have altered software files that the center distributed to Georgia counties prior to the presidential election. The center has uh, played a critical role, Politico notes, in the state's elections for more than a decade by testing the touchscreen voting machines used throughout the state and maintaining that's uh, the software that's used in those machines, but also by providing support for the central tabulators that tabulate votes and create and distribute the electronic ballot definition files. These are the files that go into each voting machine across the state, telling uh, telling the machines, you know, when you touch the, the, the screen here, that's a vote for candidate X, or you touch it here, that's a vote for candidate Y. Those could have all been altered, and because there is absolutely no paper trail whatsoever on the systems that are used in Georgia, no one would ever know. Officials wouldn't even know that the machines recorded votes inaccurately. Nobody would. The center also distributes uh, a voter registration list to all the counties. And if attackers were to delete voter names from the uh, database, we wouldn't find out until people went to vote on Election Day. It could cause chaos. And that, of course, did happen across the country and uh, during the presidential election last year and specifically in Georgia, in uh, Fulton County, Georgia, one of the counties that is included in the 6th District race. This special House election, uh, voters in Fulton County had complained they would arrive at the polls. They were told that they were at the wrong polling place and then they were pointed to a different one. They would go to that other polling place and they were told, no, this isn't it either. They were redirected all over the place and there was apparently some sort of problem with the electronic poll books that we still don't know why that problem occurred. Last month, I had mentioned Marilyn Marks was on our show a week or two ago. She's the one who filed that suit to try to force Georgia to go to paper ballots before this report came out, before we saw how absolutely vulnerable the entire system was, how it was completely opened up by the very people who were supposed to be protecting, somehow protecting the security of these systems. Last month, Marilyn Marks uh, had filed that, uh, that motion. She was trying to get an injunction to prevent the counties from using these systems. Uh, and they cited uh, Lamb's breach of the center's server as one of the uh, as one one of the reasons that the machines should not be used. The concerns were validated last week with the uh, release of this NSA uh, whistleblower. Who uh, who put out a document from the uh, from the NSA concerning about uh, the attacks on our system over the past on our electoral system over the past year or so. A second story published over the past week by Bloomberg indicated that hackers had targeted voter registration systems in some 39 states and actually tried to delete or alter voter data. And they also uh, had access to the very same software that was used by poll workers to to verify voters at the polling place. The same kind of software that Lamb found on Georgia's website. Despite these concerns, Fulton County Superior Court Judge Kimberly Esmond Ad, uh, Adams uh, ruled against the activists seeking that injunction. But she did so in that case on a legal technicality. But it doesn't matter because this is what we're doing. This is how we're moving forward. And the security issues came to light only in March of this year, seven months after the initial intrusion last August. 
It wasn't until March of this year uh, that uh, Lamb, not a hacker, but Lamb, uh, you know, who, who found out about this in the first place and has never been identified until now, after he discovered the initial problems last August, he notified Merle King. Remember him? He's the guy who heads the the Kennesaw State University Center for Elections. He notified Merle King that he had found these 15 gigabytes of, of data that were supposed to be password protected on the server. The executive director at the center, Merle King, he thanked Lamb, said that he would uh, he'd get that server fixed. But it was months before the presidential election and King told Lamb to not talk about the issue with anyone, especially the media, apparently. Lamb recalls that King said it would be best if you were to drop this now. King also said that if Lamb did talk, quote, the people downtown, the politicians would crush Lamb. The center kept that incident under wraps, never notified the secretary of state's office, despite the fact that uh, the, the secretary of state is responsible for overseeing all of the elections and pays the center some seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars annually to do to do this work, to program all of the systems. And they never bothered to tell the secretary of state reportedly about this massive breach. Lamb had thought the issue was fixed, but months later, in March of this year, March 1, a security colleague by the name of uh, Chris Grayson discovered that the center had addressed that one vulnerability that had to do with Drupal, the, uh, the, the content manager, for the encrypted version of its website, but the unencrypted version, that was still vulnerable. Grayson said that he could still access all of the same files that Lamb had downloaded months earlier. It was all still available, everything that he had warned about. So the incident, Politico reports, exposed the fact that the center had been operating its network outside the scope of the university system and the secretary of state's office for years. It had had essentially its own system, its own security system that was overseen by nobody. Nobody. And the fact that these GEMS files, the entire, I mean, this is the brain of this Diebold election system. The fact that those files were on an Internet-connected server uh, with, the, with the claim that these GEMS machines are never connected to the Internet, that was the claim that the state of Georgia made in court last week that helped lead to, the, to, the, uh, to, to this uh, lawsuit getting thrown out. That's completely untrue. As we have now seen, it's all connected. It's all accessible. And the security is virtually nothing. Actually, in this case, the, virtu the, the security was nothing at all. Now, remember, Kennesaw State, as Politico notes, has been held up by, for example, the Federal U.S. Election Assistance Commission, the EAC. They've been pointing to Kennesaw for years as a model for election management and how to implement these type of touchscreen voting systems. King and his staff train the county election workers all over the state. They're often asked to speak all over the country. And they have staunchly defended their security practice for years. You may remember years ago, I was able to obtain one of these touchscreen voting systems and passed it on to the folks at Princeton University who found they were able to hack it in about a minute's time, put on a virus onto one of these voting systems that could pass itself from machine to machine. 
completely flipped the results of an election with almost zero possibility of ever being detected. After that hack, uh, I broke that story at, at Salon and at Bradblog.com at the time. Uh, after that happened, um, the, the guy who uh, headed up the Princeton University hack of this system, a guy by the name of Ed Felton, he was disparaged by Merle King. He was called a theoretical scientist. He went on to become the deputy U.S. chief technology uh, officer in the Obama administration. And another uh, person who works at the Kennesaw State University Election Center described uh, Felton um, as an idiot. (laughs) And when these concerns came up last year, the state of Georgia did nothing. As a matter of fact, the Obama administration was warning about concerns about uh, these these attempted uh, intrusions on our voter registration systems. They were offering help to to states and counties around the country to, you know, help them scan their system to make sure that they were secure and that uh, they hadn't been accessed inappropriately, but Georgia was only one of only two states that rejected the offer entirely. Because the DNC getting hacked, they now think our whole system is on the verge of disaster, said Secretary of State Brian Kemp at the time. And that's just not, he said, I mean, anything is possible, but it's it's not probable at all the way our systems are set up. So they did not allow the Obama administration to come in and even check their system. In addition to failing to install that two-year-old patch on its server, Georgia, um, in Georgia, testimony in that uh, case a week or so ago, found that Georgia is still using a version of the software on its touchscreen machines that was last certified in 2005. That voting software is running on the machines, on these Diebold machines, on top of a Windows operating system that is even older than 2005. And guess what? Karen Handel, the Republican in this race in the 6th District, when she became she used to be the secretary of state before Brian Kemp. And when she ran for office, she said that security of voting systems was going to be one of her top priorities. As a matter of fact, after she won the race, she came in and she asked a group at, uh, at Georgia Tech to conduct a security review. They found a number of security concerns. But Karen Handel said, look, don't look at Kennesaw State University. They're not uh, related here. Stay out of that. And the, the folks at Georgia Tech had no idea. Why is she asking us to, to not look at Kennesaw? The Kennesaw is the people who program the entire state. But she insisted. And uh, they were just never allowed to look at that Kennesaw system at all. And nonetheless, Georgia Tech came back with a report, gave it to Can- Karen Handel, finding all kinds of problems other than was what was at uh, Kennesaw State University and uh, delivered that finished report to Karen Handel. And uh, the guy who uh, runs it at Georgia Tech said, quote, we never heard anything more about it. It's not clear whether Handel's office acted on any of the recommendations made in the report and Handel's campaign office did not respond to a call for comment. Karen Handa will be running against John, is running against John Ossoff in that special election for the U.S. House in the state of Georgia, the most expensive U.S. House race ever run. And by Wednesday, whoever wins that race will be the winner. Whoever loses it will be the loser, all according to these machines that have been hackable to the world and exposed to the world for years. 
We will have no idea if the winner actually won or the loser actually lost. This is obscene. But this is the way we now run our elections in the United States of America. Quick break, and we're back with a few more minutes on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com donate, and thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, thanks again to uh, Kim Zetter for that important report. Go check it out at Politico if you haven't read it in full detail. The headline, Will the Georgia Special Election Get Hacked? And I think the most disturbing part about it, Desi Doyen, is we will have no idea if it does get hacked in most instances. Yeah, there I mean, will be, we as we've know. noticed before, there will be no attempt to either count whatever is there. There's or nothing even, to count. There's nothing yeah. to count or even do a forensic examination of the machines themselves, because as you've reported on, as we've seen in the past, that political parties and election officials will interfere, will go to court to stop any examination to find out what actually happened. And by the way, uh, you know, and this is a hugely important race because it's being seen as a bellwether by both Republicans and Democrats in advance of 2018. Uh, you know, $50 million spent on this thing at this point. It's a, you know, a, a wildly important race. And no matter who wins or loses, the if the Republicans lose, they will have every right to yell and scream and wonder if they actually won the race. And these issues are going to continue for every single election right. from here on out. Yep. And not just on touchscreen systems, on any system that counts uh, ballots by computer, including paper ballot systems, because they don't bother to count them by hand. That's exactly what uh, the folks were, were suing for in Georgia. Uh, and I have a feeling... They may be back in court soon uh, to try to press the case further in Georgia now that we have learned uh, so much of what I've been warning about. Even computer scientists for years did not seem to understand how bad this is. I'm hoping they understand it now. Whether there anyone takes any action on it, that remains another question. It's taken this long for them to even notice. How long will it take them to take any actual action? All right, I got to get out. Uh, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any of the others that I've referenced on Georgia, 
Uh, you can check them out for free. Download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Drop me an email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, Georgia. Good luck, world. <laughs>